0: You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Sub here, excited to be joined by Natasha Baker, 2012 Silicon Valley NLC fellow. She's been working on a lot of interesting stuff. Can't wait to talk to her about it. So let's get to it. All right, Natasha, so Silicon Valley NLC fellow, but then you went pretty soon after that to DC, right?
1: Um, I did. Um, there were a couple of things that happened in between. But yes, I've landed in D.C.
0: Awesome. And then you've been there for how long?
1: I've been um, in D.C. since 2014. Uh, came here for law school um, and then have stayed for a fellowship.
0: And then how does the city actually change when an administration changes over in the dramatic way that it changed over in 2016? Uh,
1: um, so let me put it this way. Um, I went to law school at GW which is uh, very close to the White House. And so under the prior administration, and I live very close to campus. So under the prior administration, I used to like to brag that um, uh, Obama was my neighbor. <laughs> and I don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, one of the things I wanted to, to chat with you about is uh, one of the orgs that you, you work with called Heard on the Hill. Can you share a little bit about what that is?
1: Yes. Um, and actually, uh, for a plug for NLC, I learned about Heard on the Hill Um, at an NLC alum training um, here in DC, the DC chapter in January of this year. And Heard on the Hill is one of um, the organizations that got started after the 2016 election. And it was formed by a group of DC residents in January 2017, who were dealing with two kind of two issues. One, right, DC residents have no voting representation in Congress. However, they do have the Physical proximity to the Capitol and to our elected officials. And so they started an organization to help bridge that divide by collecting constituent letters from across the country and then hand delivering them to members of Congress. And in that way, help to build alliances, um, hopefully in the long term to be able to support DC statehood, but in the short term to help. Um, um, constituents be able to access their members of Congress, because if you recall, right around this time is when the ACA debate was going on, Mm -hmm. and a lot of constituents were having a really hard time getting through to their uh, members of Congress. The phone lines were busy, you know, mail takes weeks to get through, emails generally ignored, Um, and so Heard on the Hill um, uses their physical proximity um, to Congress to help amplify the voices of constituents across the country.
0: And yeah, that's what I was going to ask you when you think about ways that we're encouraged now to, to reach out or to, to keep electeds accountable. Uh, actual physical letters don't necessarily come up that much, but it sounds like this is actually something that is useful. Why do you feel like letters themselves are actually pretty powerful?
1: Um, great question. So I'll give you the example recently um, regarding the Kavanaugh um, confirmation hearings. Uh, Heard on the Hill collected. Over uh, around 6,700 letters from constituents across the country opposing his nomination. And around 1,600 of those alone were for Senator Collins. Um, And so being able to go into an office and say, there is this number of your constituents who have concerns about this nomination. And we generally then will read some of the letters. And in that particular, on that particular issue, so many of the letters were talking about personal experiences that constituents had had and why they therefore were opposed to the nomination. And being able to share those letters in person to not only see the volume of the letters, but then to also read them out um, to staff members was incredibly powerful. I mean, we know how it ended, but um, it was very, um, it was very impactful. I mean, that to be able to cite those numbers and be able to tell, communicate those personal stories of Americans from across the country.
0: Yeah. And because of the stories are personal, uh, folks who write them, I would imagine then are very interested in staying engaged on a topic or if an outcome, like you mentioned, doesn't go the way they want it to go, they maybe want to pursue action to make sure the next time something different happens. Is there any way that the letters are, are, are tracked or data is stored in a way that uh, folks can be reached out to down the road to continue their activism?
1: Uh, yeah two points on that one um, one thing is that we always ask that constituents include their mailing address and contact information so that their um, so that their elected official can follow up with them um, one of one of our goals for this coming year is to do a better job of like closing that loop as you mentioned and relatedly now because the we're, we're a nonpartisan organization but because the Democrats have retaken the house, we're going to be shifting our focus a little bit to being a little bit more on the uh, offensive side. And so that also gives an opportunity to kind of close the loop on some of the issues. For example, on healthcare, now there's an opportunity to come back and be like, hey, you know, we wrote to you back then about how we want to protect our health care. And now that there's been a shift in power, what are you going to do about that to strengthen protections?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Listen, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what Natasha's actual day job is, besides talking about the letters we've just spoken of. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. All right. So by day, you're a juvenile defense attorney. What does that mean exactly in your day-to-day life?
1: Um, that means um, that I help represent youth that are involved in the juvenile justice system. And my organize, my organization specializes in post-sentencing issues uh, with juveniles. So we work locally here in D.C. working with deep-end youth to protect their legal rights.
0: And I'm excited to have you on because yeah, this summer in, in Houston for the NLC convention, uh, you gave a spark talk. And for folks that don't know what that is, it's kind of like a hybrid TED Talk and it's a chance for folks to talk about a very specific issue that's uh, a passion for them and, and you had a really moving topic and, and you know before we get to the content of the topic I'd love to hear just the giving of the Spark Talk itself were you nervous did you practice a lot how did it come to be?
1: Um, it Long story is how it came to be but it was um, that my Spark Talk was an aspect of my work that really um, rattled me, not to make a terrible pun about what the topic is about to be. Um, but um, in giving the speech, it was, I, I was very emotional. I actually had to stop myself from crying at several points during my presentation. Um, and I didn't expect that to be my response, because when I practiced, I was doing fine. Um, but actually, one of the initial threads of it is that um, there is a um, there's a professor and also photographer in the juvenile justice space called Richard Ross, and he has put together a lot of images to really show what the juvenile justice system is actually like. And I used a lot of his images in my SPARK talk, and I met him at a conference um, last year, and that was kind of an initial spark for my SPARK talk in how ha- helping to amplify his voice um, to, to lay people because his audience is mainly people that are already within the legal system, judges, attorneys, and the like.
0: Yeah, and the images were d- definitely striking. Give give folks uh, some insight into what you talked about.
1: Yeah, so my Spark talk was about shackling um, and talking about a word for onomatopoeia. Shackling is the use of any type of mechanical restraint, not just handcuffs, but also belly chains, ankle chains, restraining chairs, that are regularly used in the juvenile justice system, not only in courtrooms, but also in transportation and in detention. And I talked about the history of shackling, um, the current reality, why we use it, and what the alternatives are.
0: And then uh, what do you feel like are some common reasons that folks cite that shackling should be used? What kind of arguments are folks trying to overturn?
1: The main arguments that you hear are that it's a safety issue. um, And those reasons are easily debunked um, because we haven't always had shackling. And in courtrooms across the country that have changed their practices, safety concerns haven't come up and actually court behavior has actually improved. Not unsurprisingly, because Children are better able to participate in their defense. They don't feel humiliated. They're actually able to enge- engage with their attorney better, um, and it's not as a traumatizing experience.
0: And then, in terms of, of ending shackling practices, uh, how does even uh, someone who wants to make that end go about doing that? Is that lobbying uh, a court system? Is it a political act? How does, it, how, does how do you see change?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And this is one of the paradoxes of the juvenile justice system, which I mentioned in my Spark talk. The system is confidential to protect youth, but as a result of it being confidential, members of the public don't get access to some of the abuses that are happening on the inside, including the standard practice of shackling. So to change that that means not only do we need investigative journalism to write articles about so we can even alert the, the community about this. So that can be, you know, a local tip or call to your local newspaper and be like, hey, is this a local practice? You can also call your public defender office or elected official to ask in terms of actual change. It might be through legislation. It could be through an administrative order of the court. There's different options in different jurisdictions do it differently. But the most the first step is actually for the general public to know that this happens to then create the political pressure for either the courts themselves to change the practice or for you know a city council or county commissioners to change the practice.
0: Yeah. Are you seeing it city by city, county by county? Or would there be a statewide law that allows it or prohibits it? How does it even work from a municipal standpoint?
1: Yeah, it really depends on the jurisdiction. Um, in California, where I'm from, there was a state case um, that, you know, went through the courts that, that determined that youth were not allowed to be shackled in court. Um, and so in California, there is a, you know, a, a state Supreme Court case that just has decided what the practice is for the entire state. State to state, it really depends. Um, in D.C., for example, the only limitation on shackling is an internal court administrative order um, and in other jurisdictions it differs so the the solutions are are, are, are vary
0: yeah that makes sense well listen I'm glad you're you're on the topic you know last thing we are going to announce the, the new 2019 NLC fellows here in a couple weeks when you think back to 2012 what do you remember about joining the Silicon Valley chapter and, and what kind of impact did NLC have on you
1: um Thinking back to 2012, I was just starting my career. Um, I was just a couple of years out from undergrad and was very much feeling like I didn't know where I was going. But uh, after NLC, NLC gave me the courage to do a lot of things. I ended a relationship. I quit my job. I moved to Brazil. Um, it helped me wow, make right. a <laughs> lot of life changes um, that have now put me on the path of a place where I'm really happy. Um uh, in my life and feeling very fulfilled. And that's why I've continued to stay connected to NLC. But uh, back then, it was, yeah, it was a very much a moment of uh, personal reckoning about where I see my future.
0: Nice. Well, we're glad your future included being on the ZAG. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for everyone who listened to this episode. You can catch all past episodes, and there's a lot over 100 or so. Get them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good places. Thanks for listening. More episodes coming a little bit later this week and this month. So stay tuned. Until then, take care.